Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from TheNextReel.com. And I'm Pete Wright, also from The Next Reel. We're at the beginning of the Marvel Cinematic Universe ride, looking at Jon Favreau's 2008 film, Iron Man. And back with us today, we have Niall McGowan from The Bat Minute. Welcome back, Niall. Oh, thanks for having me back, guys. Uh, I'm actually very excited to be here for this minute in particular, because uh, I love a good villain death. Like, it's one (laughs) of my big things in a a big action movie. I always, I, I really hate it when, like, a big villain doesn't get, like, a big death, like, one of my main problems with uh, like Jurassic World was that they built up all this stuff with Vincent D'Onofrio and those raptors, and then he gets killed like off screen. It's like what the hell is that? And then, like even like Superman Returns, what happens to Lex Luthor? It's like oh, he just gets like stuck on an island or something. What are you doing? Come on, just give him a big friggin' death. But, so like I was happy. He was like oh yeah, get to see like the the end of Obadiah Stane, and he goes out like it's not it's not a subtle death. Like this is it's a real go big or go home kind of thing. It really is, and it'll be fun to talk about, uh, especially in context of how it uh, unfolds in the comics. Um, we are looking at Minute 113 on today's show. The minute starts with Obi's murderous confession, and it ends with Tony rolling away to avoid a fireball. Uh, it also it starts, though, with uh, <laughs> just one of those exposition bits of dialogue where he's like, oh, you ripped out my targeting system, just so we're all clear. Like, this is this is what's happening, all right? Yeah, right. Because <laughs> yeah. you didn't catch it earlier. The targeting system's gone. That's right. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. Normally, I'd be really good at this. It does a great job of just kind of delaying this whole climax and just building as he's as he's working to get closer and closer uh, to hitting Tony. You get the uh, the nice moments between uh, Pepper and Tony as he's just like, just hit it. She's like, you told me not to, and which uh, it makes me laugh. I'm like, she's still being such a good employee. It's like, but you know. <laughs> And then, and then, uh, then this is a uh, yeah. He kind of gets to this point where Tony is accepting this moment where he's like he's willing to die. He's sacrificing himself. This is a big moment for our hero, for this character, to say, "Blow the roof! I'm willing to die so that uh, so that we can get rid of Obadiah Stane and end this." And uh, it's it's a kind of a nice moment that we have between Pepper and Tony as he. Uh, is yelling at her and convinces her to hit this master bypass uh, uh, master bypass relay button that she does. I do wonder though, like, what was she thinking was going to happen when, like, she's saying, "Oh, push the button," like, you, but you told me not to. That everything's going to stop. And he's like, "That's right, Pepper. This was all a test, and you just <laughs> passed." <laughs> As everything shuts down, woo woo woo, and it's just the <laughs> whole thing. They step out from behind. You've passed. You are now CEO. Obadiah just pulls a pizza out from that suit. And he's just like, all right, everyone, pizza time. <laughs> but he does have this 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 ending line, right? Or this line that bridges this this hold still, you little prick. Yeah. Uh, it's I, I, to my ear, it's a dumb line, and it is delivered so well by Jeff Bridges. I don't think anybody else, like in this context, could play that quite as well as Jeff Bridges. <laughs> I it, because it it works for me, and I can't. It's just one of those I can't read because it's just <laughs> kind of over the top silly. But when he says it for some reason, I'm in. He does it really well, and it is a funny line to kind of throw in there suddenly. Um, it did make me curious about the word prick. <laughs> <laughs> and the origins in the history as you do as one one is um i i guess the word goes back to the 1500s as a euphemism euphemism for uh the male private area 
Uh, it's been used in wordplay by Shakespeare and other writers who have combined the vulgarism with the standard meaning of the noun, which means the act of piercing or puncturing. But most linguists believe that it's only been used as a direct insult uh, since 1929. Yeah, that's Favreau working in more Shakespeare. He had the, uh, the last poor York bit last <laughs> right. minute. Right. Now he's putting in pricks just to be like, yeah, of to Shakespearean callback. Yeah, just uh, you know, the things that he throws in, all these references. <laughs> <laughs> When Pepper, I, this is a really funny moment. When Pepper finally is convinced to uh, to push this button in the script, she, uh, she she pushes the button. Well, it's it's a little different because he's telling her to push the switch, and she's like, "Which one? Which which master switch?" She looks down, and there's a row of master switches. She <laughs> and her line is, "I am so looking for another job." As she then starts to hit all the switches before oh. she sets it off. That sounds like that would have been like, that's a very weirdly like a Josh Whedon line. Where like, but yeah. it's, no, we need to get rid of this Whedonism. But ironically, they would have him <laughs> controlling the whole damn thing in a couple of years. But. It's such, I don't know what they were thinking with that line. But, and, and it's, it's a line that it is a setup and payoff because we've had her reference looking for another job earlier in the film like i hate looking for other jobs when tony comes back there's a line in a deleted scene between her and and obadiah or at least it was in the script um talking about um looking for another job when he finds her in tony's office and stuff so i, I can mm. see why they're doing it it's a setup and payoff sort of thing but oh it just reads so poorly it's such a bad mm. line uh, yeah i'm sure gwyneth yeah. paltrow could have delivered it fine but uh smarter smarter minds prevailed yeah, yeah. So she pushes this big button. I think that they probably needed to work this system a little better. So when you push the button, everything doesn't go nuts right away. Like you should have at least a countdown because Pepper doesn't even get to move before electricity starts shooting all over the room. I'm surprised Pepper wasn't electrocuted in the process of this. Well, the, not to get into because we'll be in the next few minutes, but like Pepper Pot should definitely be dead at the end of this. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, the next couple of seconds is like, oh, no, she wouldn't survive that. There's not a chance in hell. <laughs> and it's all because she spent too much time in the parking lot, really. Like, she <laughs> had she just got in the car and left with the gate guard, she'd be fine. Oh, uh, yeah. So Pepper hits the button. Somehow she dodges the lightning bolts as she flees the overloaded uh, arc reactor. And uh, which does, I, I guess you could say, kind of as they described in the uh, script earlier, where it's like a Tesla reaction where you have all of these sorts of lightning uh, blasts shooting out of it as, as it overloads and it goes into uh, blast mode and it knocks Tony out, out of the way. And this is the moment where, okay, so Pepper was thinking, I am assuming, based on their conversation, and I'm assuming Tony was thinking that he would legitimately die, like this explosion, this blast that the arc reactor hurls up toward him and knocks him out of the way, that that would have killed him. And she basically thought, right, that Tony is dead now, that she caused this reaction that blasted the roof and killed Tony. Yeah, yeah. Do we think that he, I mean, do you really think that he thought he would be okay? My assumption is, based on their conversation, that he was willing to sacrifice himself yes. if it meant killing Obadiah. I don't think he thought mm. he was going to live. Okay, good. I thought that I, I misunderstood you. I thought you were saying that somehow he knew that he would be thrown out of the way 
and that he'd be okay. But she would be wracked with guilt thinking that she killed him. Yeah, I think they both thought he was going to die. I do too. Yeah. And I needed that. Like, that's what this, that's the, that's the archetype that needed to be fulfilled here. Right. I mean, she doesn't have like the, before she pushes the button, she does say like, no, but you'll die. And it's kind of like, yeah, but I'm going to die anyway. If you, like, I'm rocking a hard place here. So yeah, Yeah. say push the damn button already. And it doesn't really make a lot of sense though, because this blast wave, um, it blasts Tony out of the way. But then the kind of these Tesla coil electrical blasts that are kind of curling all over the place, they hit the the Ironmonger suit and electrocute uh, Obadiah is what I'm presuming Mm -hmm. is happening there is is he's like fully in the blast and is electrocuted. Is that is that what you guys assume is happening here? Yeah. Yeah. So I took it to took it to be i mean you get that shot right at 33 seconds where you have the blast coming out of the roof right past obadiah as the ironmonger's arms are just flailing around and electricity is kind of coiling all around it so yeah that's that's always been my assumption is he gets fully electrocuted i just don't know why tony why nothing happens to tony that's the thing i can't figure out because it feels like tony is actually closer to that hole than obadiah is (laughs) (laughs) you're you buy into the whole thing huh Nile. Uh, yeah, I'm just sort of like, oh, maybe there was like a, a like a first wave of sort of less less powerful stuff that knocks Tony out of the way, so that's why he's not affected in that in that mm-hmm. regard. Or maybe it's like, yeah, just a, 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 a blast force or something is, is what propels him out of the way, so he's clear of the uh, of the actual electricity as it's going up. Something that's concussive, but not like full of the. Electrical tentacles, yeah, yeah, that appear to grab Obadiah. Well, and they do say like when you're around lightning, like you're better off lying down because the electricity like passes just so quickly through you into the ground. Whereas if you're standing and your arms are out, it it, it creates opportunities for that lightning to jump between all of those different points, your fingers to your hips and wherever. And that is where the electricity really ends up electrocuting you. So I guess, I mean, Tony does end up, he's knocked out of the way and he's laying off to the side. So to that end, maybe he is better off because he's not kind of standing right in the the center uh, column of electrical energy. Mm. Of course, then you also got the the debut of an MCU stalwart in uh, the (laughs) sky beam. First sky beam of the whole franchise, guys. <laughs> oh yes, you do. This, this was a thing like a couple of years back. Like I remember going to films and been like, if I see one more goddamn sky, beam. <laughs> like, so it was a huge list of. I remember it was like friggin' Suicide Squad, friggin' Man of Steel had one. I think there was a. a Think about that Ghostbusters redo. That had a sky beam in it at one point. Well, to your point, I was uh, looking up the Pillar of Light TV trope, which is a trope that uh, <laughs> has been pulled out, not just in the uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it has been something that has been shown countless times, not just in films, but in TV shows and animation and comics. And I mean, it's all over the place, this whole beam of light. Uh, according to the TV trope, when a, an event of great celestial magic or ultra tech power occurs, it is often heralded by a beam of light, usually blue or white, that shoots straight up into the sky from ground zero, often evaporating whatever clouds are unfortunate enough to be in its path. 
Sometimes it starts out as narrow and expands as in diameter as it climbs. In the case of more disastrous events, the pillar of light is just an extension of the pre-explosion glow, another trope. In, another, in other cases, it can be part of a truly cosmic battle aura. The rest of the time, it is relatively benign, if exciting to watch. It should be noted that a pillar of light usually travels upwards. A pillar of light that comes down, more often than not, is a kill sat, which tends to be far less benign. See also Sphere of Destruction for the globular variant. I love that they've provided so much detail on this TV Tropes <laughs> website about <laughs> about how these pillars of light work and why. Yeah. It's very funny. I think it was just, there was a stage though, like but four or five years ago, it was just like every big movie had to have a from a teenage mutant Ninja Turtles two, the Technodrome arriving that had a sky beam. So I found a, I found a uh, a challenge online where it it lists films with the giant sky beams, and they list fifty five of them that have happened since Holy the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I I did the little test to see. I have seen 80% of them, which is 44 out of the 55. Um, and it does look like they, I mean, they certainly grew over time. And it looks like they've really peaked in the uh, in the 2010s with the, the big year being 2016, which had 10 films with a giant sky beam. <laughs> 10 films. Oh my goodness. Just in 2016. What was the what was the first one that you that you remember? I mean, I I I'm just seeing on that site that you know, Superman the the pillar of light in 1978. Yeah, that's where they say it started and that was It is. in uh with the uh yeah, when he's at the very beginning on Krypton when they put the prisoners in that uh glass uh right. dimension. It all starts with a giant, uh, giant sky beam. So again, though, I, I could forgive it here, though, um, because you could say that again. Is it foreshadowing the Tesseract, like the sky beam that will be a major player in the Avengers, like the culmination yeah, right. of, the, of, the, of the Phase One and whatnot? Um, so you could, if they had that laid out already, like, or it could be that Josh Whedon went back to it and was like, "Oh yeah, it'll be like a little." It was all leading up to one big sky beam the whole damn time. <laughs> Wait till you see what we got in Endgame. Sky beam. You haven't even seen a sky beam. Yes. The whole sky's a beam. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a really interesting uh, trope, and I, I do like. I, I was looking at just at the Marvel films that have had sky beams, and there are. I mean, it's quite a few of them that have had them. Just scrolling through this thing: Avengers, Age of Ultron, Infinity War, uh, Captain America: The First Avenger. Oh yes, because like yeah, sky beam kills Red Skull, yep. like it killed right. Obadiah Stane as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although he doesn't die right. technically, I guess. But right, right. We have them in Thor, Thor: The Dark World, Thor: Ragnarok. And uh, uh, I guess that's it. And then some other Marvel films, like some of the X-Men films have them and Fantastic Four. So it's a very, very popular trope. And it's funny. I, you know, okay, so 2016, I said it was the year that had the most. There were 10 films that had them in 2016. The films were, and see if you remember all of these, Suicide Squad, as you pointed out. Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. also as you pointed out. Gods of Egypt apparently had one. Independence Day yeah. Resurgence, which I uh, think you brought up a couple days ago. Rogue One, a Star Wars story, has one. Uh, Shin Godzilla, uh, which I didn't know had one. Space Cop apparently came out and I had mm. one. Haven't even heard of Space Cop. 
You know what that one is? Apparently, it came out. <laughs> apparently, apparently, it exists. Uh, high, high praise. <laughs> <laughs> and then we've got uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles out of the shadows, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, Warcraft, so uh, and X Men Apocalypse. So, yeah, it's a uh, what? What a weird thing to all of a sudden have ten times in one year. I guess it's a, it's a, there was a rise in the trope as well of um, it could be you know from the success of one big movie. Like it wouldn't surprise me of if the Avengers was like oh that that, that sky beam looked awesome. We should put that in our movie and like that's how it it's you know it's spewed on because I know in like. The years following the Dark Knight, there was a real rise in that trope of, oh, what if the what if the villain had himself captured, but that was part of his plan the whole time, and mm-hmm. he was planning to break out from inside because it happened in that, and I was like, oh my god, yeah. that happened in the Avengers, that happened in Star Trek, that happened in friggin' Skyfall, like all of this stuff. It got to a point where you're like, I've seen this, guys. Like you know, we've all mm-hmm. seen the same big blockbusters. You can't steal things from a thing that came out like two years ago and think we're not going to notice. Right, right, right. So, yeah, it could just be that the Sky Beam was just like, oh, yeah, people really loved it from that one thing. We should put it in our movie. And then everyone was thinking that at the same time. <laughs> Trying to figure out what the film was that came out uh, right before Iron Man that would have had a Sky Beam that would have potentially been kind of a, a cue for this team to go, oh, we should we should do that, too. The closest that looks like it came out right beforehand well, Hellboy from 2004, but I don't know. I feel like they're... And Chronicles of Riddick 2004 as well. I always remember, too, um, there being, like, chatter back in the day that, like, uh, this, the, the, there was significance to the Sky Beam. Um, because, you know, back in the day when you knew that there was more films coming, but you didn't know exactly how it was going to play out. Uh, like, people were speculating that this would have, like, got the attention of like cosmic entities, the fact that this huge energy surge went up into the Earth's atmosphere and stuff, yeah, and then maybe like oh maybe that's how Thor comes into it, or maybe that's how you know freaking some of the you know alien characters and stuff will start taking interest in Earth because it's now they've got this thing that happened and stuff, and uh, it turned, I don't think at any point the sky beam is referenced uh, like as a you know oh remember when that happened in Iron Man uh, back in two thousand and eight that led to this yeah right right. It actually looks like Transformers, which is just the year before, had a Skybeam in it. And we, we've heard them talk about how some of the choices that were made in the Transformers film led to some of the uh, like the tech changes in seeing the suit and everything. So I, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if they also saw it in that film and said, oh, yeah, let's put that in. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. maybe. Well, we do get, as, as Obadiah uh, gets electrocuted and we get the fantastic Skybeam, which shuts down a huge amount of electricity in the Long Beach area. We get that great over uh, that kind of that establishing shot looking at the city as the uh, big chunks of it lose power from this thing. And then, uh, you know, per your request, Anil, we get the uh, the great villain death. And, uh, yeah. and Obadiah tips over and that suit falls fast and goes straight down into the arc reactor, causing a big old explosion. Hmm. So beyond this, guys, uh, do you have any favorite villain deaths yourselves? Like, do you have one you're like, oh yeah, that was a way to go? Are you talking specifically in the MCU films? No, no, I just mean in general. Well, I think the best villain deaths are the ones where there's an emotional connection with them. 
And mm. so I, you know, I, I feel like there was such a great turn in uh, Return of the Jedi with uh, the way that Darth Vader kind of um, had that moment and then tossed the Emperor over. That always, I think, has been one of my favorites. I don't know. What about you? Yeah. Pete? Hans Gruber. Oh, there's another great one. Yeah. You know, mm. I just, I love that character so much. And uh, so that was always a, a, a good one to me. But, you know, General Chang in Star Trek um, Six in the Undiscovered Country, which is one of my very favorites of the Star Treks, his speech at the end, I think is great. Khan's speech at the end is another great one. I spit at thee. Um, mm. uh, so, yeah. I always find uh, a guy who's, I think his real niche is doing great villain deaths is James Cameron. Because, like, you think, like, oh, the first Terminator, the, you know, the, the oh, you're terminated, like, the crushing. Like, oh, that's a really cool memorable one. It's very, very tense because it's, like, literally this thing crawling towards Sarah Connor and stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, right. And then, like, Terminator 2 going, like, T-1000 going into the molten steel and stuff. Like, that's, oh, that's incredible. That's a real big, like, totally flamboyant, like, uh, uh, villain death and then like I think he's come did in terms of just been ridiculously flamboyant over the top that's would have to be like true lies so, like Art Malik is attached to a missile that Arnie fires <laughs> right. through a building into a helicopter <laughs> full of other villains what's his line in that one what's, what does Arnie say in that one you're fired yeah you're fired that was it yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh, and uh, all the Nazis in Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, I, that was, I just, I'll never forget the first time I saw it, right? When they're, the melt faces are melting. Um, it was just fantastic. And I just remember being as a kid being like, God, they really deserve this. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, too. Like, every, every Christmas, like the the BBC will show the Indiana Jones movies during the day and they always cut out all that stuff. They always trim oh, that down. And it's just like, that's, that's the good stuff. Like the, you want to see Nazis get melted. Yeah. All the goopy stuff that you shouldn't, that shouldn't really be in a kid's movie. Right. That's what made Indiana Jones so great to me as a kid. It's like, Oh, it's like you not everything else about it was great as well. But it was just the fact that like, yeah, they're throwing in like really intense sequences that probably shouldn't be here because they, they trust you. Like, Oh, you're a kid. You'll get over it. You know? Like, right. <laughs> right. So I was like, yeah, the guy gets his heart ripped out and then it just bursts into flames in this guy's hands. Oh, come on. It happens, kid. Get over it. <laughs> That's life. Yeah. So I do have a thing. I always want to write them in and go like, if you're gonna if you're gonna cut it, just don't show it. Just show it past the watershed if you feel that, that yeah. strongly about it. But yeah. like don't come in and like piss in the Picasso here, guys. Exactly. <laughs> So talking about uh, Obadiah and his death, which uh, which is a great one here, I do want to bring up the way that Obadiah Stane dies in the comic. It is a pretty interesting death that we have here uh, because his he's having issues with his suit. And so what he ends up doing to, uh, to kind of combat Tony, and basically it's a villain death that he does to basically take all the power away from Tony is he puts his repulsor uh, from his hand repulsor next to his head and he blasts it and, and kills himself because he, you know, it's, it's a way to kind of take ownership of his death and, and force Tony to kind of put, be in a position where he now has to kind of live with that moment for the rest of his life. 
it's a really interesting moment in the comic book. And and we had had Obadiah, who had been kind of a business bad guy, who had taken over Stark Industries and created Stain, uh, Stain Weaponry or whatever it was called. And uh, and Tony was living in the streets. I mean, it was a terrible time for Tony. So by the time we finally got to that episode, uh, that issue. I can't help but wonder if people at the time fa- found it to be cathartic to kind of see him go out that way, or if it was something that was just another dig for Tony and another thing that Tony now is going to have to emotionally deal with. Um, I, I can't imagine them doing something like that in the film and in the MCU. That's kind of weird because that's the. It's kind of similar to what I thought was the best part of of Man of Steel, where it's kind of like General Zod essentially forces Superman. Superman's hand into killing him so that will you know that's his way of winning is like you're going to have to kill me and that's going to be the thing you live with and stuff uh, so it's kind of like maybe that's the one thing that the DCEU had above the Marvel MCU I was like yeah we, we had the guts to do that in the first damn movie right right yeah, the guts to do that but potentially the wrong character to do it with because I'm not sure I'm not sure how well I, uh, I think it fit with Superman uh, fans uh, oh I think it's yeah. I know there was a there was a, a hubbub about it, but I I loved it because it is a real thing. It's like yeah, there's no way out of, out of that situation. And it's just right. like that you put him in the most difficult position, and he has to do this thing. It's like yeah, that that really really worked for me. Everything else in the movie, Skybeam not not included because Skybeam was fantastic in it. But, uh, <laughs> uh, so um, so yeah, so we get this moment where Obadiah he does fall. And by falling into the arc reactor, it's, I, I don't know if it's different than the reaction that Tony had had with the kind of, he had overloaded it, creating this Tesla coil, but now Obadiah falls into it and it explodes, but I guess it had, its energy had been overloaded. So it didn't explode the way that Tony had been concerned about earlier, where it was going to actually kind of blow up half the city or whatever he's going to do. Um, so it just, it just is a nice explosion. And clearly I think, Obadiah is dead. We don't need to see that. He's not going to be a character that does come back. And mm. I, I think that it, uh, it, I don't know, it's this huge explosion. We don't get to see the full explosion, but uh, you do get to see uh, the explosion rip through the, this is the moment I would have said, break all the glass in the front of the building now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. This is the one. <laughs> right. But I do think uh, before we kind of keep going on, uh, we should talk a little bit about the deleted scene that we have here, uh, where it's a little bit more of a uh, a little bit more of this moment between it kind of bridges uh, today's minute and tomorrow's minute. But it really starts with Obadiah and Tony up on the roof after the blast has gone up into the sky as Obadiah kind of falls and he lands not falling through, but he kind of lands on this frame of this window and he and Tony kind of have this, this conversation up there before, uh, before the death. Uh, what do you, what do you guys think of this deleted scene? How does it work for you? I, I, I didn't like it. I didn't think it was needed. Uh, cause it just kill, it kills the action for a bit. Like you kind of, this, this moment works so well because it's just the, the release of the whole big, of everything that's been building up, now you get this big thing. And now this would have been, like, here's an additional, like, two minutes of very low-key talking. And then you get the big <laughs> the big finale. And it just would have killed the pacing for me. And um, I don't think it really adds anything to it, either. It's just sort of... Um, it's just kind of treading water for, like, everything, everything in it seems to have been conveyed already. To me, at least, anyway. Well, and you hit this point, right, where uh, you want the movie 
the climax is happening. You want things to start wrapping up. I mean, even even uh, John Nelson, who is the visual effects supervisor, he said, we just felt that this sort of narrative slowed the film down at the wrong time. And I think he's right. Yeah. And obviously, from the three of us watching it, it just it ends up feeling that way. Mm. Well, kind of. I mean, I there, there's something about it, though, that um, it, I just don't feel like it conveys the right message. I, I actually think that uh, they have become, over the years, less aggressive in cutting these kinds of, like, dark, brooding mo- moments between the hero and the villain. And, uh, you know, the movies are getting longer and longer. Um, and so I'm really curious what's going to be of Endgame. How many of these kinds of moments are we going to get these kinds of moments that, that they, you know, were still aggressively excising from the film here? I um, I like the idea of having them talk to one another. I like the idea of Tony turning a little bit and giving his hand to Obadiah, but I don't like what they're saying. I don't think that conveys what is in my head. Um, you know, I I want to see a little bit of Tony trying to be aggressively the good guy here, like trying to go for some justice. And and even if it's short lived, I don't mind it. I don't mind the move. But I'm I'm right with you. The pacing just falls through the floor. Like it is a it's a parenthetical that that ultimately we don't need. I think had it been scripted a little bit better, had it gotten to to that moment of a, a little bit more aggressively with Tony, you know, fighting with his good versus evil vibe, um, you know, I, I think it could have been. I, I think it could have been a good scene. What's interesting is in the script there actually was more dialogue. Obadiah says to Tony, he says, as Tony's reaching to him, Tony says, "Take my hand." Obadiah says. So this is the answer, Tony. This is how you're going to save the world. It's not in you. Your father told me before he died, my boy doesn't have a warrior's heart. I should have listened. Then Tony says, my father never knew me. Then Obadiah says, but I do. And then he tries to kill him. And then the whole dynamo suit uh, slides down. And that's it. Mm. I don't know if that would have been any better. It's kind of no. weird. But weirdly, it's like this. It, like, is that something that his dad really said? Like, my boy, my boy doesn't have a warrior's heart? Or is that like Obadiah trying to, you know, stick a dig in there? Exactly. He's just poking him. And and I don't think that that's I, I just don't find that sentiment from Stain, the stain that we have come to know over the last two hours. I don't find that believable. I don't think that's I don't think that's where he would have gone uh, with that scene. It's petty. It's like below who he is. I know he's mad and I know he's a bad guy and I know he's trying to kill I, you know, Tony, but I don't believe he's going to, you know, I, I don't believe he's going to start throwing those kinds of barbs. It just doesn't, it doesn't feel mm. in character to me. It also uh, strikes me as well when I was watching it. Um, so, you know, obviously in 2008, the big competition to Iron Man was the Dark Knight. Like that was, I remember that summer, there was a whole big thing of like, are you an Iron Man? Or are you a Dark Knight fan? Like all this kind of thing. And of course it was like, why can't you just enjoy both of them for Christ's sake? <laughs> but um, the, the the idea then of like, you know, Obadiah almost going and then when Tony grabs him and he says like, uh, you know, like, oh, you just couldn't help yourself, could you? It strikes me so much of like when the Joker is thrown off the building and then Batman grapples him and gets him back up and he's like, oh, you could, you just couldn't let me go, could you? It would have been a weird parallel. It's like, oh yeah, both movies yes. have a scene where the the hero saves the villain and the right. villain kind of taunts him with like, a, oh, you just, you couldn't help it, could you? Like, you right. had to save me. Right, right. I just would have wondered if there was any point that there would have like any guys in the studios would have seen working cuts of the other movie and been like, oh yeah, that's really similar. 
yeah, maybe we should cut that just in case it's, it's, it's too it's too similar. Or yeah. it's like, no, nah, it's just happy coincidence. We just happened to cut this bit. Well, again, I mean, it is an archetype. It fills in a hole of an archetype. I, I have every reason to believe that that you know they stumble upon these same sorts of of archetype moments. Um, you know, the hero saves the villain because that's what the hero does. That's what yeah, we're right. wired to appreciate uh, and to seek out in these kinds of movies. So I, I totally believe that they would have come there. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I I see for for pacing reasons why they get rid of it. But uh, I, I do think it makes Tony a more complex character if they have a scene like this in where he has to actually actively battle between trying to save this guy who's been trying to kill him. And I, I think there's merit for a scene like this. This And the way it is in the film, um, you know, with Stain falling immediately to his death, robs Tony of an experience to, to be conflicted about conscious choice. It does, except, uh, I, I mean, I, I definitely agree. I mean, although his conscious choice was blow the roof and basically kill this guy. So I, I think that he already made his conscious choice. Right, so that's already been made. And I think that I would argue that Stain probably was electrocuted and dead in the version we have before he <laughs> fell. Like, I, I don't think he was alive. And plus, I think Tony was, you know, largely uh, unconscious in the corner and didn't have a chance <laughs> to do anything, any thinking. But, but you know what? I mean, there is something to this, though, that the entire thing that Tony does is, it, you know, he is in the suit. He's the weapon. But the suit provides this sort of layer of abstraction between the violence that's going on behind him. And I, I think that having him have to hold the hand of this guy and make that choice, it, there's something about that that's much more intimate and much more... Uh, it, it's it's forcing him to face a demon rather than just blow the roof, which is, again, a layer of abstraction from the, the choice that he makes and the violence that happens later. And and I really like I'm I'm one of those guys that really likes those face to face like that. That scene in Private Ryan where he has to like lay on top of that guy and and there and stab him really slowly like that is just that crushes me because, again, it puts that that level of violence and choice right in the hands of the people portraying it. There's no abstraction. There's no drones. There's no missiles. It's a it's a real thing. Uh, and and I, I think Tony is a character that I expect to have to at some time face it that way. That's that's important. And so. You know, I totally hear what you're saying, and I really like the ending as it is, but I just, I, I present that argument. I And mm. I agree with you. I think that's a very interesting uh, thing that they could have incorporated here. If they did, though, I think that they would have had to redo the lines, because the, the dialogue, oh, right. everything we have here, that's what really, for me, bogs this down more than anything else. The other question I have in this deleted scene is, okay, we were talking in the past few minutes about how smart Pepper is and how they portray her. Now we have her appearing on the rooftop after the building just blew up. Why is all of a sudden <laughs> she being so dumb and like, okay, the building's on fire, an explosion just destroyed everything. I'm going to run on the roof right now. <laughs> yeah, that's, again, Pepper, worst. Timing, everything. You know what? This time, Pepper, stay in the parking lot. <laughs> right. That's also the major question as well, would be in that deleted scene, like, so Obadiah just got hit by all that electricity, and it knocked him out for, like, what, a minute? <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure, you know, a sky beam couldn't kill the guy? Like, at that point, it's like, he must yeah. be just, with or without the suit, this guy must be friggin' invincible. I don't know, though. Is this the same sky beam that's, like, uh, harnessed in the sharper image uh, 
like electrical balls because those don't hurt. <laughs> well, this is a very powerful one. Maybe, maybe powerful that one. was it. I don't know. It's all because <laughs> it was all sharper image. Yeah. They should give Sharper Image a credit. I can't wait to watch the credits for this show because I hope Sharper Image gets a credit for the arc reactor. <laughs> uh, well, I don't have anything else for this minute. Uh, we're going to kind of wrap it up uh, uh, tomorrow with the rest of this explosion. Uh, do you guys have any other points for this one? I'm all good here. Uh, not for this one, though. Well, Niall, uh, would you like to remind everybody where they can find you and learn more about your show? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, uh, I'm one of the hosts of Bat Minutes, uh, where we're going through the Batman movies of the 80s and 90s. Uh, one minute at a time and uh, you can get us on yeah twitter and facebook and all the social medias under bat minutes and uh yeah we'll be on if you type in bat minute into the podcatcher of your choice you should be able to find us so awesome uh, if, you, if you if you fancy a wander over we're always looking we're always happy to have more people jump on board awesome well thanks so much for joining us today appreciate it Oh, thanks. thanks for having me. And everybody, that is it for today's show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us over in our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Reel. And if you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at thenextreel.com slash Patreon. Until next time, true believers. True believers.